15 through 13, and if you're there, say amen. I'm going to go ahead and start reading. But take heed to yourselves, for they shall deliver you up to councils, and in the synagogues you shall be beaten, and you shall be brought before rulers and kings for my sake, for a testimony against them. And the gospel must first be published among all nations. But when they shall lead you and deliver you up, take no thought beforehand what you shall speak, neither do you premeditate. But whatsoever shall be given you in that hour, you speak that. For it is not you who speaks, but the Holy Spirit. Now the brother shall betray the brother to death, and the father the son. And the children shall rise up against their parents, and shall cause them to be put to death. And you shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. But he who shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. So tonight, using for a title, For the Sake of the Gospel. That's what we're going to be talking about tonight. And I know there are many stories, and for time's sake, I'm not going to read all of the ones that I had. Uh, but there's many stories uh, of those who have given their lives for the sake of the gospel. There are many who have endured uh, persecution to, to degrees that we cannot even fathom. We cannot even imagine. And I've talked about it several times. Um, the book and now the movie Tortured for Christ. If you've not yet watched that or read that, uh, I encourage you to do so. I believe Tortured for Christ is on Netflix. Um, it's not in English. You have to read subtitles, but it's well worth it. Um, but I have a copy of the book. If you would like one, I will be happy to give it to you. But just to understand um, that even in today's time, because a lot of times we think, oh, well, that happened way back then. But in today's time, in over the past um, few years, over 200 million Christians in some 60 countries at this very moment are suffering intense persecution for their faith. It's hard for us to imagine. But right now, at this very moment, over 200 million Christians in 60 countries are suffering persecution for their faith. As Jesus continues to deliver the Olivet Discourse, that's what they call this portion of Scripture, he warns his men, his disciples, of the persecution that lies ahead for them. And as always, I find that uh, these, this text is just right on time. It seems to be right uh, in line with what we as a country uh, are facing or will shortly be facing. I, I believe that um, to be true. He wants them to know that following him carries a high cost. Matthew 16 and 24 tells us, Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Letting us know it's going to cost something. We've got to lay ourselves down each and every day and pick up the cross and make a decision to follow him. Because I'm going to tell you, if you're not waking up every day and purposing in your heart to follow Jesus this day, things are going to come your way that are going to very quickly distract you very quickly, pull your attention away, cause your faith um, to maybe waver. You're going to encounter things. And so we have to, especially now more than ever, we have to be determined to follow Jesus each and every day. See, we have it made in America, but our brothers and sisters around the world 
um, that are in the faith, we need to be praying for them because they're paying for their faith with their lives. Uh, and, and like I said, you can read of countless um, missionaries, those that have um, left America and gone to other countries or those that were born in countries and converted to Christianity, what it actually cost them. We need to know what Jesus says about persecution. We need to know what to expect. And we need to know how he would have us respond to persecution that we too might face. The disciples are warned that they will be delivered up to the councils. We just read that. And this is a reference to the Jewish Sanhedrin, uh, which was kind of their version of the Supreme Court. Okay, so that's really what that is. Um, they would also stand before rulers and kings, uh, and they would be interrogated, uh, asking them uh, about their preaching and about their doctrine. They would be hunted down. They would be hounded. They would be beaten, and some would even die for the faith that they preached. And we're not there, America. We're not there. We're not close to being there. Uh, in Acts, uh, you can read where prophecies were fulfilled uh, over and over again from Acts 4, uh, chapter 4 to Acts chapter 28. Peter, James, John, Stephen, Paul, they all faced persecution for their faith. These are the men that the Lord saw fit to give us as examples to watch, to see how they faced persecution, what they did in the face of their adversaries. And that's just a brief sampling of the kind of persecution that rocked the early church. Paul's own testimony, we find it in 2 Corinthians uh, verse 11, 21 through 29, says, I speak as concerning reproach as though we had been weak. Howbeit, whereinsoever any is bold, I speak foolishly, I am bold also. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they the ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more in laborers, more abundant, in stripes, more above, me above measure, in prisons, more frequent, in death, oft. I mean, think about this. This is Paul, his testimony of all that he has endured. Of the Jews, five times received I 40 stripes, save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods, once was I stoned, thrice I suffered shipwreck, a night and day I have been in the deep. In journeyings often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils by mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, beside those things that are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. Who is weak, and am I not weak? Who is offended, and I burn not? This right here is Paul's testimony, and we think we have it bad. We like to whine and complain about things when they don't go our way. But yet, have we endured prison? Have we endured shipwreck? Have we endured beatings, being stoned? No, not one of us have. And I dare say any of us ever will. Prison, maybe. But I don't think we will face persecution to the likes of which the early church did. Thank God for that. 
But why did the disciples receive such treatment from the religious Jews and the secular government? Well, they received this treatment because the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is a direct threat to organized religion and to corrupt human government. I want to say that again because I really want you to get this. Why did they receive this punishment, this treatment? Because the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is a direct threat to organized religion and to corrupt human government. I want you to get, we've got to get this. What we preach week in and week out, what we proclaim, what we stand for, the world hates. Religious organizations hate because what we do is not a religion. It's a relationship. It's a personal relationship with the living Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And when that comes on the scene, it shines forth a light that begins to expose sin. It begins to expose corruption, and they do not like it. And they want to put it to death. Nothing has changed. Nothing has changed, folks. It's the same as now as it was then. And we're going to begin to see it getting increasingly worse as the end draws near, the Lord's return draws near. Again, the gospel calls to repentance. And exclusive faith in Jesus Christ challenges everybody who hears it. See, we can talk about God all day long. We can, we can say God, and that's really not offensive. But when we begin to stand and declare the name of Jesus as the only way, the only truth, that no man will come to the Father but by him, you better believe people are going to be angry. Why? Because they hate Jesus. They hate Jesus. Those who do not serve him hate him. That's what the word says. It's been this way since the beginning of the church, and it will continue to be this way until Jesus comes to get his church. As the end of the church age draws closer, there will be um, an intensification of persecution of the gospel, and it's called a holiness, repentance, and faith in Christ alone. Are we ready? Are we ready? How do we get ready, you might ask? You get on your face before the Lord, and you say, Lord, make me ready. You search his word. You use his word as your standard for every area of your life. You allow the Holy Spirit to to purge you, to cleanse you, to reveal things to you that aren't pleasing to him. And what do you do with them? You give them to him. You cast them down. You don't hold on to them. Because now is not the time to play church. Because I'm going to tell you, the day is quickly approaching when you've got to know where you stand. For yourself. Not, oh, Pastor Jason, I don't... No, you've got to know. Because you might not be given a phone call to call the pastor and say, now, what is it that we believe? Can you give me a scripture for that? And I welcome those phone calls. I, it, it, I, it does not anger me to receive phone calls like that. I enjoy talking and encouraging one another. But we need to know who we are in Christ for ourselves. We can't depend on someone else to tell us who we are. In Christ Jesus. Again, nothing has changed since the dawn of creation. The disciples will face their persecution 
in religious houses, and in the seats of human government. I want to tell you tonight that the uh, persecution that they received came from the place that should have been a safe place. The houses of religion, right? Oh, we're all about peace, right? So says uh, Islam. We're all about peace and unity. But you come in and speak the name of Jesus as the Messiah, the one and only way to heaven. Peace goes out the door. Unity goes out the door, and they're ready to kill you. Now, they won't come right out and say that. But bottom line, that's what it is. That's what their teachings are based on, to kill the infidel. If we will not submit, kill them. That's their teaching, right? The government, those who are supposed to be out, uh, on the, the lookout for our best interest. Huh. Make me laugh, right? That's what we're told. No, because we see very clearly. Uh, and if you don't see, I don't know what you've been looking at. The church house is the first house they want to close down. And what we've been facing, what we've been going through. And thankfully... Here where we live, we haven't faced it to such a degree as our brothers and sisters in California and in Chicago and uh, in Michigan and in different states, in New York, um, where they, the, the pastors have been fined. They have been told, I shared a video yesterday, it broke my heart, uh, of Tommy Barnett at the Dream Center in California. 20,000 kids will not receive their Christmas gifts because the county has come in and shut them down. They feed people every day. They're not allowed to feed people. People who live in their cars, who would drive through every day to receive a hot meal, they've shut them down because of a few cases of COVID. Something's wrong. They had collected over, I think he said 8,000 hams that they were gonna give out for Christmas. And now they've been told, no, you cannot give anything out. Does that make any sense? No. None whatsoever. It's all done because this world hates Jesus. Hates Jesus. Now, it can be uh, tried to be masqueraded and, and hidden under the, the guise of something else. But bottom line, the world hates Jesus, and they're doing all they can to stop his love, his hands and feet from reaching out, from going forth. But we know that no matter what happens, the gospel will go forth. It will continue to spread. It will continue to go out. The very places that should provide refuge and safety instead become judgment halls where evil will condemn righteousness to death. And hear me tonight, no matter who's in the White House, this will happen. Why? Because evil is rampant. It's rampant. And it's not going to change until Jesus Christ returns. That's it. Now, we pray for godly leaders. We pray for all of that, and we should. But I'm going to tell you, human government is corrupt. It just is. Religion is corrupt. It just is. Why? Because it's man-made. It's a man movement. It's not a God thing. A God movement. Only Christianity is. First, per uh, purposes. I want to tell you some purposes of persecution. And it's kind of a twofold thing. First, persecution will serve to seal the destiny of those who reject the gospel and its message. They prove their sinfulness 
by rejecting the word of God and the way of salvation. And that might be hard for us to understand, but God receives as much glory from the damnation of sinners as he does the salvation of saints. How is that possible? Well, I'm going to tell you. See, when God saves a soul, he demonstrates his grace, his love, and his mercy. And when God condemns a soul to hell, he demonstrates his righteousness and his holiness. God does not send anyone to hell. We send ourselves. It's a choice that we make. And we serve a just God. So for him to wink at sin and not hold one accountable would go against the very being of who he is. So he proves himself true. He proves himself faithful when he saves a soul or when he condemns one to hell. Why? Because his righteousness, his integrity, everything about him is upheld when he does that. It breaks his heart, but he is who he is. And he cannot do wrong. He cannot sin. He cannot lie. He cannot, uh, like I said, sweep sin under the rug. He is a just God. He is a righteous God. And we must understand that. When a soul is saved, God proves that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no man comes to the Father but by him. And when God condemns a soul, he proves that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And that no man comes to the Father but by him. Romans 9, 18, 18 and 24 says, Therefore hath he mercy on whom he will have mercy, and whom he will, will he harden. Thou wilt say then unto me, Why does he yet find fault? For who has resisted his will? Nay, but, O man, who art thou? That repliest against God, shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? Hath not the potter power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor? What if God, willing to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction? And that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he had afore prepared unto glory. Even us whom he has called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. Again, proving his sovereignty. He is a merciful God, but we have to choose him. We have to receive his way, go his way. Second reason that persecution comes it causes the gospel to spread. Persecution causes the gospel to spread. When persecution comes to the church, the faith and the message of the church are validated. When believers seal their testimony with their blood, a lost world takes notice. And I know that is true. When we hear of things, horrible things happening, the gospel goes forth. It goes forth and it spreads like wildfire. Think about this, 60% of the world's Christian live in prosperity. All right, uh, they live in peace. We have most of the money, most of the Bibles, um, the various outreach opportunities. We have radio, we have television, we have the internet, uh, we have printed media, all these things. But 40% of the world's Christians live in poverty and persecution. And many of these people suffer daily for their testimony, and many others are tortured and killed for believing in Jesus Christ. All for the sake of the gospel. I want to ask all of us tonight, what are we doing for the sake of the gospel?
right? I mean, a lot of times we're afraid to just talk to someone, to witness to someone because we're afraid they might say, I don't want to hear that. And we take that as persecution. When there are those 40% of Christians are giving up their lives for the sake of the gospel, what are we doing here in America? What are we doing? Not much, I don't believe. The greatest number of conversions and the greatest moves of God are being reported among the poverty-stricken countries. You've seen videos, you've read testimonies of just the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, thousands upon thousands of souls getting saved at services. And these are third world countries. And yet here the same Holy Spirit will move and we will dare him to move us out of our seat to make us come to an altar, right? They're desperate over there. We've lost our desperation as people of God, and we've got to get it back. They're suffering and dying for their faith, and many upon millions really are being influenced. We, on the other hand, we enjoy our peace, we enjoy our prosperity, and we influence no one for Jesus in doing that. We need to draw men to him, or do we condemn, them, condemn people in their unbelief? Oh, well, no, we need to be proclaiming truth at all costs. When we know someone who was going in the wrong direction, we see it with our own two eyes, we hear it with our ears, and yet we sit back and do nothing. There are those in other countries who would pull on people's pants legs, who would fall to their knees and beg one to give their heart to Jesus. That's an excerpt in the book, Tortured for Christ, I believe it is, or either it's in a D.L. Moody book. I can't remember, but it was so vivid in the teaching that uh, that's just sweet little culture making puppy noises over there. But they would fall on their knees and grab people and tell them, you need Jesus. And we need to have that same determination in our hearts that when we see people going in the wrong way and knowing if something were to happen to them, if they were to breathe their last breath, they would be in hell. Why does that not motivate us enough to just for a moment say, let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you there's a better way. There's a better life for you. Whether they receive it or not, they at least deserve the opportunity to make the decision for themselves. See, there's a word here for the modern church as we draw near to the end of time. We can expect um, persecutions against believers to increase. And the fact is we're living uh, in an environment that is growing increasingly hostile to the gospel that we proclaim. I mean, it, it just is. We tell the world, when we tell the world that there's only one way to be saved, guess what? They want to embrace every path as a way to get to God. Uh, I think it was someone said there was 160-something ways to heaven. I read an article. Uh, there's one way. His name's Jesus. We tell the world that God demands righteousness and holiness, and they want to live on their own terms and do as they please. I mean, have you watched commercials lately? They're X-rated. Really. I mean, they're... Commercials for medicine are X-rated. <laughs> They're horrible. 
I mean, as a child, I, I never heard anything like that on TV. But it's just a slap in the face of our Lord. The way this world is going, we tell the world that abortion, euthanasia, and assisted suicide are all wrong. They want to treat life as if it has no value at the beginning, the middle, or the end. All they're disposable. They can be done away with. It's no big deal. And we see it happening more and more and more. We tell the world that there's a place called heaven that can only be reached through faith in Jesus Christ and they want to believe that everyone goes to heaven or that life ends with nothing more than a body in a grave. And that's not true. There's an eternity and you're going to spend it in one of two places, heaven or hell. We tell the world false religion and human government that God's word is the final authority and that they will face him on judgment one day. And they want to live as though God were dead and as if they will never have to give an account of their actions. But my Bible tells me in Philippians 2, 10 and 11, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. They will stand before the Lord and they will have to give an account. But are we doing our part in telling them? It's not up to us whether they receive or reject. But it is up to us to tell, to be faithful, because that's what we'll be held accountable for. What are we doing for the sake of the gospel? It's easy for us to throw it off on everybody else. But we will stand before the Lord and have to give an account to him as to what we've done with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That should motivate us, folks. That should motivate us to be sharing this glorious gospel. It's clear to see that our message and the way of the world are complete opposites, right? Their way of life and our way of life stand in complete contrast. Um, there are hard times ahead for those of us who still preach the true gospel of Jesus Christ. I know that. But that doesn't sway me. There are hard times ahead for those who take a stand for righteousness against the rottenness of this world. 2 Timothy 3 and 12 says, Yea, and all that, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Are you ready? Are you ready? to face the persecution. We're moving into an era where social liberals are in control of our government. And it seems like even more so, day after day. The fa they favor many things that are against the clear teachings of the Word of God. We're living in a time where everyone is expected to accept homosexuality as an alternative lifestyle. We're expected to accept that a woman has a right to murder her unborn child. We're accept expected to tolerate every sin and vice of every kind. We're expected to tone down our message and soften our speech so that we don't offend people who engage in sinful activity. When we fail to go along with the demands of this increasingly secular society, we can expect to be persecuted for our stand. Because, see, our founding fathers, what they founded this country on is long gone. It's been forgotten. And the complete opposite is being upheld and pushed down our throats. 
And when we begin to take a stand, which I pray that everyone in here, everyone watching by Facebook or by the Internet, you're going to take a stand, but you better expect persecution to come. Be prepared. Some things are worth fighting for. A baby's right to be born is worth fighting for. The right to preach the word of God without restrictions is worth fighting for. The right to tell a lost world that Jesus saves is worth fighting for. The right of a teenager to stand at his or her graduation and mention the name of Jesus is worth fighting for. Because all of these rights are being taken away. Somebody's got to take a stand, church. And we're the ones to do it. He's called us to do it. One day soon, we'll see who's willing to fight for these things. We might even get to find out who's willing to go to prison or die for these things. Romans 8 and 31, I'm encouraged with this. What shall we then say to these things that I just said? We're going to say this. If God be for us, who can be against us? It doesn't matter. Because these things are worth fighting for. Our founding fathers knew they were worth fighting for. Even though it seems as though they've been forgotten, there is still a remnant. And the Lord is looking. His eyes are going to and fro across this nation, even now, to see who is going to take a stand and fight for what's right. I want to be counted in that, that army, in that remnant. I want to be that one standing, not backing up, not wavering in my faith or my stance, but standing boldly in Jesus Christ. When the disciples found themselves under this kind of persecution, guess what? They found help from God. God did not forsake them. The Lord gave them exactly what they needed uh, when they were standing at the seat of power to give an account for their preaching, and he will do the same for you and me. He told us in this portion uh, of Scripture, don't worry about what you're going to say. Don't try to think of something that sounds great, that sounds uh, smart and religious and all of these things. No, you just go and stand, and I'm going to speak through you. You go and open your mouth, and my words will fill it, and they'll begin to flow out. That's what God's Word says. See, this is seen in Peter and John's response to the Sanhedrin, and I don't have time to read all of these scriptures, but we don't need to fear the day that persecution comes to the church. Why? Because Hebrews 13 and 5 is true, and it always will be true. Let your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with such things as ye have. For he has said, I will never leave you, nor forsake you. That's a promise. That is a promise that we can stand on, and he's not going to leave us. And this can be seen in many instances of persecution that have come down to us through the, the centuries. But his word is true, and it does not change. And when we face that same persecution, he's going to be with us. He's not going to leave us alone. There's many other examples that could have been listed, but the fact is God is faithful to stand with his people. When we take a stand for him, he will not desert us when we face persecution for his glory. That's what he's looking for. That's what he's created us to do. I'm trying to hurry up and get through this, verses 12 and 13. Uh, as persecution continues, it will intensify until even the strong bonds of family erode. It talks about turning, uh, families turning on each other. 
And wow, do we see that happening. Jesus said that it would be this way, so don't be surprised by it. When your family begins to turn on you for taking a stand for Jesus Christ, Matthew 10, 34 through 39 tells us, Think not that I am come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. For I am come to set up man at, set man at variance against his father and the daughter against her mother and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's foes shall be they of his own household. He that loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loves, loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he that takes not his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He that findeth his life shall lose it, and he that lose his life for my sake shall find it. This is the word of God. Don't be surprised when this happens. The disciples experience this kind of hatred, and so will the church in the end times. Not only will family hatred increase, but so will secular hatred for the people of God. It's not going to get better. It's going to get worse. But our encouragement, our hope comes from the word. And that's what we've got to be about. We've got to be encouraging one another with the word. So in these last days, we will be able to stand. Jesus tells them that they will be hated. Why? For my name's sake. That's why. For the sake of the gospel. The reason, again, the world hates the believers because the world hates Jesus. And the world is controlled by Satan. He's the God of this world, right? Second uh, Corinthians 4.4 4 tells us that. And this uh, world is filled with sinners that exist to fulfill the will of the devil. John 8 and 44. You are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a, li speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. And so are his followers, those who do not serve him, who do not serve the Lord. They hate Jesus Christ. Since the devil hates Jesus, he causes all of those who follow uh, Satan to hate Jesus as well. Jesus warned his men, just as the world hated him, they will hate those who follow him also. And this proved true for all of the disciples of the Lord. James was beheaded, Peter crucified, Andrew crucified, Thomas um, thrust with pine spears and uh, burned alive. Philip tortured and crucified, Matthew was beheaded, Nathaniel skinned alive, then crucified, James the less thrown down from the temple and beaten with, to death with a club, Simon the zealot crucified, Thaddeus beaten to death with sticks, uh, Matthias stoned uh, with hanging on a cross, John the beloved thrown into a boiling oil, but he did not die, later exiled to the prison on the island of Patmos, and Paul was beheaded in Rome. They faced intense persecution. They were killed for the sake of the gospel. Again, I ask us, what are we doing for the sake of the gospel? I'm just asking people to go out and witness. Give your testimony. Share the love of Jesus. And if they reject it, oh well. God says, count it all joy, right? Count it all joy. That's what we're to do. The last part, verse 13 says, but he that shall endure to the end, the same shall be saved. He's not telling us that some people will lose their salvation by failing to stand in time of persecution. 
you, you don't lose your salvation for that. You lose your salvation by turning and rejecting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, right? That's what it says. But Jesus is telling um, his men that genuine believers prove the reality of their salvation by standing true to their profession of faith. Not letting go, not wavering, not compromising your faith just because things are getting a little uncomfortable. I know a lot of people are, are saying, well, I don't know what's going to happen if they demand um, that I take the vaccine. I don't know what I'm going to do if my job says they're going to uh, fire me. That's between you and the Lord. You seek the Lord in that. You seek his face and ask him to give you peace. And whatever that may be, He'll, he'll give you an answer. He'll, he'll tell you what to do. But if we're beginning to feel the anxiety and the frustrations and, oh, I don't know what to do with something like that, oh, wow. The best is yet to come. <laughs> there, there's more to come. There's more things coming down the pipe. And we've got to learn how to take a stand now. Even though we think it might be bad, worst is ahead. But we've got Jesus on our side, and we're going to make it through it all. The lesson for us is simple. When persecution comes, those who know the Lord Jesus will be empowered to stand for him because we can't do it on our own. It takes his strength, his Holy Spirit working and operating in us to give us the strength to stand because if we think we can do this on our own, oh, we're going to buckle real fast. We're going to realize we're no match for this. But as long as we continue to stand in him, we're going to make it. We are going to endure until the end, and we shall be saved. And that's talking about Jesus Christ coming back for his bride, coming back for his church. He is coming soon and very soon. And we've just got to continue to stand in him. Tonight, I want you to stand to your feet. And I know there's lots of needs uh, in this house tonight, as I said in the beginning, I know we all know someone who is sick. But maybe you're standing in need of prayer tonight. Maybe tonight the thought of, Lord, what am I doing for the sake of the gospel? It's kind of hit you right in the heart and you're beginning to wonder and question. Well, just ask him because he knows, he'll tell you, and he'll tell you exactly what you need to do. But I'm praying that as a church, we will come together in unity and we will uh, unite and say, we're going to stand. There are things in this life worth fighting for, and I'm ready to fight. I'm ready to stand, not to waver, not to back down, but to stand on the word of God and know that it will keep me, it will protect me, it will lead me and guide me. So as the music plays, if you have a need tonight or if you just want to come spend a few moments with the Lord, I encourage you to respond to his Holy Spirit. Go ahead, Vanessa. Where would I be?
Lord, we thank you for your word that's gone forth tonight, God. And I pray that that be our heart, Lord, continually for you to lead us and us to follow, God, each and every day, Lord. We know that you have doors to open, Lord, for us to walk through to boldly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray that you go with each and every one of us tonight, God. God, that you would be that hedge of protection around us, Lord, but you would put people in our paths, Lord. God, that we could share the love of Christ with, and we'll give you all the glory and all the honor. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Just want to 